What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Mike Hess uh, here with a special edition of our Choose Inclusion podcast and a special edition with the 30th anniversary of ADA coming upon us. And we have a fantastic guest. But before I introduce him, uh, as always, I am honored to be uh, co-hosted with uh, both Nina and Ubaldo. Uh, guys, say hi. Hey, everyone. Hello, team. Thanks and for And Mike, uh, what is? Oh, sorry, Yubi. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying thanks for stopping by. <laughs> uh, so, 30th anniversary of ADA. I am one to always say. Let's uh, describe the acronyms. What is ADA, Mike? Absolutely, uh, Nina. So, uh, well played there. So, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, was signed into legislation in 1990, July 26th, under then President George H. W. Bush. And it, um, uh, you know, we, I, I, rem I remember working, uh, I, was I just finished up high school, so that tells you how old I am, Nina. And I was, uh, I remember when it first came into being at that time, and I was a, <laughs> I had just enough vision back then where I was a, uh, I was a stock boy at a local company, and I worked midnights, um, you know, loading up shells, but I was, I was what I always called the good dumb muscle. I was always the strong kid. Hey, move that heavy thing there, or move it over there. So that's that's that was my role way back in the day, Nina. And I remember when ADA passed, I was like, huh, I wonder what this is going to do for my life. Um, so, and um, and at that point in time, that was pre, that was before. I mean, I way back in the Word Perfect days. So talking about uh, the Wayback Machine. But uh, before I started uh, uh, an interest in coding and any of that sort of thing, where uh, ADA and our, our special guest today for the 30th anniversary, uh, he really is one of the founders that really, from a digital accessibility perspective, when the world was starting to go digital, uh, we have this gentleman, Mark Shapiro, president of the Bureau of Internet Accessibility, BOIA for an acronym, but Bureau of Internet Accessibility on board with us today, who uh, is going to give us a history lesson on all things accessibility within the internet space. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I, uh, I'd love to, since you, I mean, your organization, your, I mean, you were, so before you even got into accessibility or what we uh, lovingly like to call the A11Y space, because there are 11 characters between the A and the Y in accessibility. So before there was any trendy A11Y space or anything like that, Mark, you had other businesses within e-commerce before it was even called e-commerce and before it was called A11Y. I'd love to get your uh, kind of your background and a little bit of the early history of A11Y, please. Sure. Um, back in the early 90s, 92, 93, I started BX.com, which is one of the first web development e-commerce companies. 
towards um, the middle around 1995 to 1998, there were a bunch of new laws concerning website accessibility and our clients were looking for resources to help them determine if they were compliant. Nothing existed. So we ended up making some web-based tools and the suite of tools didn't really fit in our business model. So I started the Bureau of Internet Accessibility as a nonprofit and provided all these tools for free. After I sold BX.com, I decided to focus full-time on the Bureau of Internet Accessibility and I ended up changing it to a for-profit and then I added consulting services. So um, what, is, what is the goal of the Bureau of Internet Accessibility? What, what are the main purposes of why you built it and you know, what you're working on now? Sure, the main purposes are to help organizations understand what they need to do to make their digital properties, whether it's a website, a mobile application, a kiosk, accessible to everybody. Um, many developers don't take accessibility into mind as they're developing. They're more looking at it from their own personal perspective. Um, does it function well for me? Does it look good for me? And they don't take into account the fact that not everyone's the same and different people have different challenges. And they're unaware of what to do and how to test and how to um, make everything function appropriately for everybody. I love that you, you talked about accessibility for all because I think that that's something we believe like when you when you when you're having conversations with these organizations and you know they're trying to figure out their digital accessibility what that looks like what I, what how do you have that conversation you know what are what are people coming to you you know what, what are the questions they're asking and, and what is the conversation that you're having with them about why this is important you know, a lot of it unfortunately starts with um, lawyers and a, a firm getting a demand letter. And then the, the organization looking at demand letters saying, um, what do we do about the fact that our stuff is not accessible? What does this mean? So we typically start um, on an educational front and we explain to them what digital accessibility means and how people who are visual um, or non-visual might interact with the data or how somebody who has mobility challenges, how they interact. Um, for example, somebody with a mobility issue, they can't use a mouse. So what does that mean? You know, that means that they're just using a keyboard. They're using uh, the tab key, the arrow keys to get around. And if the website's not accessible via the keyboard, they can't get to your information. So what that means is you're in fact discriminating um, against a, a whole group of people because they can't access this information. So if, if it's a government site and it's a site where I'm uh, uploading my tax information and I'm not, a, I can't do that, but that's the way that they're telling me to, to work, it creates an issue. So it's being able to work through challenges like that. Well, what, is, what does accessibility mean to you, Mark? Because I feel like when we talk about web accessibility, it often, you know, especially when it comes to like programmers doing it, they're thinking really around the accessibility requirements around things for the blind and visually impaired. But, you know, obviously it goes way beyond that. The ADA goes way beyond that for sure. I mean, what does accessibility mean to you? And, you know, how are you talking to people about it? When the internet started, I remember um, it was in 92, around 91, 92, I saw the first uh, versions of the web and everybody was saying, you know what, this changes everything because now it's just pure data. Everybody can access it, we can have readers. So if you're 
visually impaired, you'll be able to get to the information. Um, we can't tell what color, what sex, we can't tell anything. So what that means is that we all have this, this free way of communicating and reacting to each other, not in the way that we look or not any sort of biases, but purely based on the content of what our thoughts are going back and forth. And I was always very impressed with that. And I thought that was fantastic. And as the technology evolved, it lost much of that and it went into a different direction. Um, it went into more visual and how do we make things cooler and how do we add certain functionality that some people can take advantage of. So for us, it's about, let's get back to what the core of the internet was, which is this platform of equality. And let's have it be that for everybody. And to me, that was a beautiful message. I really love that idea, Mark. I really do. And uh, I, we're talking about the 30th anniversary of ADA right now. And I'd love to get your, again, like that, that great historical lens uh, from you, but like 30 years now, like what, what, what is, what do you feel like, um, you know, what's gotten better? What, what do we still need to work on? What is, what is the Bureau of Internet Access of, of Internet Accessibility still working on today? What do you still feel like are uh, some of the, the the challenges and the roadblocks uh, for people with disabilities moving forward? You know, for us, we were first exposed to this in 1995. It was more um, activists were coming together and forming groups about um, digital inclusion and making sure that everything is accessible to everybody. And in 1998, 1999, some of the laws started to come into place. So we, we were excited that this was becoming a topic. And then um, unfortunately after September 11th, the focus completely dropped and everything went to disaster recovery and different topics. And it wasn't until about 2008 that the topic of digital inclusion came back. And it went through, um, it went through the, the period of time with the, the laws were getting created for it and it was being officially added to the ADA. And it was supposed to be added in 2012 and 2014, 16. And when it was officially approved, um, everything got cut and nothing was allowed to be updated in terms of, of officially in the ADA laws. Um, so the, the law, the specific ADA law doesn't specify website, but everybody knows that websites are a place that the public um, should all have access to. So that's where the lawsuits have come in. And the lawsuits um, through several thousand lawsuits have clarified that a website is a place that requires public accommodations. The public, if you're inviting the public, they should all be allowed to access the information. So for us, um, but personally, I'm a little disappointed that it's 2020 and this is still a topic. Um, I'm a little shocked that it's it's not ingrained in the websites and the the knowledge, the cumulative knowledge base that websites should be inclusive. We still talk to many people and they're shocked that people who are blind can use the internet or that people who can't hear can actually use the internet and um, still get to the information that they need, or people who are mobily challenged can, you know, use just a key or should be able to use just a keyboard to get around. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised and disappointed with where things actually are, but they are constantly improving. So that's, that's a good sign. 
Well, and I, I think it's interesting when you bring up 9-11. Uh, did you, have you seen a similar movement because of COVID? You know, and, and does it feel to you like those are just excuses? I mean, you know, it took seven years for it to come to bubble back up to a, somewhat of a priority, I guess, after 9-11. But do you see yeah. that trend? It's interesting because COVID is actually having the inverse impact because now that the physical world is being pushed to the digital world, now all of a sudden people are realizing how important it is and they're seeing the direct impact. So we're actually hearing about um, digital accessibility a lot more than we did uh, even a year ago. And COVID is actually helping push this along between the students all having to work um, from home as the parents do. So we're seeing, uh, we're seeing this come up quite a bit more. Yeah, that's so interesting. I remember when we did our, one of our first podcasts, when COVID started, it was kind of hitting mainstream. We were all working from home. One of the things we talked about was how COVID could be this, this great equalizer for people with disabilities, because now, you know, I think first of all, from a working perspective, you know, being able to work remotely will allow workforces to become more diverse because now you can be inclusive of, you know, people with disabilities, people who, you know, can't like spend three hours a day commuting, people who are different socioeconomic backgrounds, people who might be parents and have to take care of their kids during unorthodox hours or not nine to five hours, I should say. Um, I mean, are you seeing that type of trends happening as well? Like, do you see that the COVID is turning out to be potentially a big equalizer for people with disabilities? You know, I, I am. It's, it's interesting because 15, 20 years ago, working from home meant you were just taking the day off and pretending you were working. So this concept of, you know, everybody working from home, I think initially that's what a lot of businesses thought it would be. And what they're realizing is that working from home, people actually are able to get more done um, in a shorter period of time because they don't have the whole morning routine and the travel um, and all of that extra time in the beginning and the end of the day. So people can dedicate more time to work and more time to their personal life. Plus they can be located anywhere. And with Zoom and some of the other Zoom type um, products out there, we can have very similar experiences that we have in the physical world. So we can actually have a meeting with multiple people. And the time that that saves is phenomenal. So companies are now getting more efficient and people are able to work at their own personal location. So it's, it's been wonderful on that front. Um, the challenge on the personal side is now that people are working from home, the, the typical workday has changed because now people will work on the weekends and at night. So it's, it, it, things will need to settle down towards the other direction eventually. Well, and I think uh, what's what's fantastic about uh, your organization too, Mark, is like you were like again, you're really an international company, but you're you've got a, a huge footprint of national teammates. Um, if I remember right, well over 150 teammates uh, spread out, all working remotely way before it was uh, trendy with COVID, um, and and you also have, have a significant number of people with disabilities that are part of your staff, so. You, you can, because again, part of what we aim to do with Choose Inclusion as a platform is help organizations recognize like there are, uh, besides, you know, roadmap, you know, strategy level things that you can do, there are very real, tangible, tactical things that an organization can do to be inclusive. 
And so from that standpoint, can you can you talk a little bit about like, you know, what what you've done as an organizational leader to uh, make some of that happen? Sure. Um, We decided um, back probably 15 plus years ago that working remotely could work. And what the advantage is, is that people can set up their own workspace really any way that they want. And we'll provide them the, the funding to set it up in their own specific way, but they can have whatever type of desk they want. If they don't want a desk, some people prefer to work on a dining room table, which is fine. Um, but they can set up whatever environment they feel comfortable with. And some of our employees have challenges um, getting to, from point A to point B. Uh, whether it's, you know, they're, they're not able to drive on their own. Um, so it's, it's a challenge for them to, you know, Uber makes it easier, but still to get to an office for a half hour meeting. You know, that it might take them five hours from beginning to end to get there, have the meeting and go back home, where now they're able to have all of these meetings right away. So there's no waste of time. Um, they enjoy it more. There's less hassle from their end and their productivity increases. So it's, it's really been a fantastic experience going through this. And I think companies are seeing that it's not difficult. Um, you need essentially a laptop, one or two monitors and an internet connection. Um, most of the software out there is either inexpensive or free and it all actually works really well. That was gonna be my question was, you know, the, what was the investment like? Because I think, and, and Mike hears this more than, than most, but the, the pushback is always, well, it's, it's just going to be too expensive. Like just, we can't, you know, we don't have the money to spend on, but to your point, like it's actually, the investment isn't, it's no, more it, just the fear and education. Yeah. If anything, it's less expensive. It, we would provide the same thing in somebody's office, um, but it certainly wouldn't be any more expensive. There, there are no additional resources. Even the, the paid version of some of these platforms are five, $10 a month. So you're not talking about major investments. And for the, for the time savings and the efficiencies of, for both the corporate, on the corporate level and for the individual, it's, it's well worth it. Wait, 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 Mark. I, uh, so hold on a second. You're telling me, you're telling me that you're able to hire, recruit, retain talent from a very diverse population and, and 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 it's not really expensive it's not like okay what's the rub here buddy like this this can't be that easy right there's got to be what's <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry i'm being a little snark i'm being a little snarky here because again the um it's one thing for me you know obviously i'm i'm out there you know knocking on the doors trying to get organizations to recognize like you know there really is there really are advantages to hiring a diverse set of people, including people with disabilities, and yet you're the president of an international company, you know, saying this, like, like, no, no, there's, this is actually, it's a cost saver, we have a great set, I mean, well, you haven't said that yet, so how is that talent when you're hiring them, you know, from this diverse set of uh, candidates? It's absolutely amazing. When um, my last company, we were based uh, around the Boston area, and the people that we could have work at our office uh, would be no more than maybe 60 miles away. Um, no one's going to drive more than an hour, an hour and a half for work. So if you think about what type of talent we have access to, it was pretty limited. Where now we have no limitation. It doesn't matter what town, what state, even what country you live in. 
So we can work with anybody um, at any capacity, which the, the talent pool is absolutely amazing. So Mark, I got a, a question that might put you on the spot, but uh, one of the things that I like to do is give my money to businesses that really think about disability and accessibility uh, and inclusion on all levels. What are some of the favorite digital tools, apps, websites you've seen out there that kind of are the, the gold standard of accessibility, in your opinion? There are certain companies that have done a, a nice job. Target um, was one of the first companies to have a major lawsuit against them, and they spent just under $10 million between settlement and lawyers um, about, it was probably about 10 years ago. And they, since then, have done a great job developing a full team to help um, with their digital experiences on their mobile platforms and their web platforms. So they've actually done a very nice job. Um, Amazon, we haven't seen them do as good a job, but they're starting to um, push in the right direction. So there, there are definitely some organizations that are um, starting to do quite, quite well at it. That's a great question, Nina. And I, yeah, I, I want to I know do... your answer too, Mike. <laughs> What's your answer, Mike? To well, that? yeah. So it's interesting, kind of, you know, uh, a lot of uh, internally to BIT, we have uh, multiple, you know, blind uh, teammates, and uh, they, they um, uh, have a very mixed experience with the folks at uh, with the folks at Amazon uh, versus, uh, you know, Target. Uh, so that's that's a great play. Um, and in that that news gets around, which which is interesting. So you think the people with disabilities community like it is so big, and yet that information is out there. Like we we kind of uh, like Apple when Apple Steve Jobs made the commitment to making its platform uh, completely accessible. You uh, you could see this very specifically within the people with disabilities community, especially the blind community. That for years uh, Apple. Uh, if even though highly unemployed, underemployed demographic with the blind, uh, but if you went to a blindness convention, uh, it was basically an Apple convention, and they still have a significant uh, portion of that market. Uh, Google is uh, making up ground with a very distant, um, you know, Microsoft play, but uh, uh, Google has gotten better with their Android uh, platform. Uh, Mark, what is your what what are your thoughts kind of on that mobile front? Apple is really the, the true leader. Their, their products are fantastic from the, the inclusion point of view. Um, the Android is, it's catching up slowly. It's not quite there yet, but it's, it's certainly better than where it was a few years back. Um, a few years back, it was just completely inaccessible. And so in terms of the platforms, um, a Apple is quite impressive. Microsoft always seems to come into this strong and then they fade and then they come back into it strong and fade. So I'm, I'm hoping that they don't do that again. I'm hoping that their commitment is sincere and that they're gonna push through and make all their applications completely accessible. What about the, 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 the tools that are really being used like crazy right now and are being updated all the time, the webinar, video conferencing, remote Those, meeting tools, which, which one's the best right now? Um, I hate to say this, but they're all fairly weak. Um, Zoom does a reasonably good job, but they're still, I, I think they all still have quite a far ways to go in order to be considered um, fully accessible. Um, but Mike, what do you think? 
I well, so we we as an organization we went with Zoom just because it was the most accessible. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah. So in, in to Mark's point, like there's we there unfortunately there's these levels of just like um like okay we, we we we're not getting everything we want but we're getting more than what is out there right now uh, mindset. Um, but it goes back to exactly what Mark said earlier about education. Like it's, it's sad, um, that not enough developers, but this goes back to systemically Mark, what I've seen from an education perspective, yes, businesses, but at the, you know, the collegiate level, the two and four year, uh, level that the, the programmer, uh, the computer science programs aren't instituting universal design and accessibility uh, knowledge nearly effectively enough. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the reaction that we get from some of the development teams that we work with is um, quite a bit of anger that the attitude is almost, you know, now what, what do we need to do now? And it's, it's more of a frustration um, and it's not really understanding what the end goal is. So they're, they're looking at it as it's a compliance issue or it's just another checkbox, something else we need to do. So the, the level of thoughtfulness that goes into it and the thoroughness isn't up to par um, as much as it should be. And it's not taught in school. If it is, it's taught at the same level as uh, bowling one and two. You know, it's, it's taken at that level where, yeah, it's an extracurricular activity. It's, it's not really part of the core curriculum which it absolutely should be. I'm curious about um, the, some of these like newer, you know, innovative technologies like AR and VR, um, you know, Mike and BIT have actually launched an amazing um, device and, and, and app called Edge Guide. I'll let Mike talk about that, but what are, what are you seeing on the horizon? You know, that that's, you know, because Mike always talks about how do we how do we make it so that everyone can participate in this modern advanced world, you know, and and I, I'm interested in what some of those technologies that are here now or that, that you sort of see on the horizon that are coming um, that are going to make that even more possible. I think what was holding everything back was just the pure computing power that's required. And now that that's not such a strong issue, I, I do think you're going to see um, even VR be much more accessible. Um, where, you know, one of the challenges is there's a lot of data and there's a lot of information as you're looking at through the VR world and to try to pinpoint what's important because you, you can't just repeat everything that's there. So to pinpoint what's important to somebody, that's a lot of computing power um, and a lot of logic. And I, I think over the next few years, you will see that um, coming into play where it will be a, a reality that somebody who's visually impaired will be able to be in a VR world and have a similar experience to somebody who, um, who has their full sight. So Ready Player One will be completely accessible to me. Is that what you're saying, Mark? Not in the next few years, but soon. It might be another 20, 30 years. <laughs> Hopefully in your life. I'm hopeful, my friend. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Well, I, I love the question, Ubaldo. I, I want to, I'd love to finish with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what would, it, yeah, it's sad that it's 2020 and we're still having these conversations. However, I'm the eternal optimist and I still believe that uh, we are way, we're, we're way further ahead than we were. 
uh, in so many respects. So I'd love to get your crystal ball, Mark. You know, what's the 35th or the 40th anniversary of ADA going to look like? Tell me, you know, I'd love to end with your your crystal ball um, and, uh, um, and, and see what the future is going to look like from an accessibility perspective. I think now that people, there's momentum building up and people are realizing the importance of making everything inclusive for everybody. And I think that over the next 10, 20 years, you will see that this will be a non-topic in 20 years from now. It'll be taken for granted, just like a curbside cutout or just like a ramp to a building. Everything will be accessible. All the devices will enable everybody to get to the core information of what they're looking for. So I, I know it's, everything's certainly capable of being there. And I think the education, which has been holding things back, will be at a much better level. I think this will be taught in school, um, in college, and then in the jobs, people will have a full understanding and be able to implement this. And it'll be second nature. I love hmm. your prediction. I love it. I really yeah. do. So when we're, for Choose Inclusion, I know um, uh, Nina, Ubaldo, and I, we have very specific lenses that we bring in, but we all agree that uh, inclusion is a mindset um, and you have to be super intentional about that. And it is 100% apparent within uh, digital accessibility because um, you know designers need to design with uh, that thoughtfulness, uh, developers need to develop and so on and so forth. So I couldn't agree more. I really, uh, Mark, thank you so much for being part of our special edition of the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, you are a true leader in this space. You're, you're one of the. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to share your age, but you are. Uh, you're one of. The, you're one of the first, and so that means you've been around for a minute. And uh, we really appreciate you being part of this special series uh, with us. So thank you so much, Mark, for uh, being being part of this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Yeah, um, continue. We're going to have, uh, we've got a couple more um, July or, you know, uh, 30th anniversary episodes that we're going to include in this series to to honor that anniversary. So stay tuned for more of that. Um, as always, check out chooseinclusion.com for, for upcoming episodes, uh, particularly our Black Voices Matter. Uh, series that's continuing um, and yeah just thank you to everybody out there thank you mark thank you nina thank you mike thanks nina thank you. bye guys thanks for listening to the choose inclusion podcast make sure to subscribe to us on apple Podcasts and spotify and you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our youtube channel you can find us online on our website chooseinclusion.com and contact us on twitter at choose inclusion